You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 through 42. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. When he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, he began to feel sad and anxious. Then he said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert with me. Then he went a short distance farther and fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. He came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Couldn't you stay alert one hour with me? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. The spirit is eager, but the flesh is weak. A second time he went away and prayed, My father, if it's not possible that this cup be taken away unless I drink it, then let it be what you want. Again he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy with sleep, but he left them and again went and prayed the same words for the third time. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Will you sleep and rest all night? Look, the time has come for the human one to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go, look, here comes my betrayer. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks. need your help finishing a quote this morning. Okay? Fear not. You'll know it. Ready? Here we go. Finish this quote. Be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. It just might come true. Someone posted this uh, on Reddit uh, several uh, months ago, and they asked people to share their stories of when, where, and how this was true of their own life. And friends, once again, the internet did not disappoint. (laughs) Someone wrote this, in early 2020, I had the thought, I wish I could just stay home. (laughs) Whoever this person is, we're going to run them down and we're going to find them. They're the cause. I like this one. A couple of years ago, my husband and I really wanted to have kids. I guess we should have been a little bit more specific on the number. That's eight, by the way. Eight children. Next one. I love this one. 
In 2001, I hoped they would come out with Fast and Furious 2. And I'm not sure if you were paying attention, but coming this summer, Fast and Furious 10. Okay, we're 10 deep now, 10 deep. And then last one, I love this one, all of you pollinators out there. In January, I couldn't wait for spring. Now I walk around looking like this. And let everyone who suffers from allergies say, Amen. Be careful what you wish for, because it might just come true. As you may have noticed, today, here on Easter Sunday, uh, here at the Peak, we are launching a brand new sermon series uh, called Risky Prayers. Risky Prayers. And it's picking up on that same theme, that not only should you and I be a little bit weary, should we be a little bit mindful of what we ask for, but we should also be mindful of what we pray for. Now, not because God is scary or because anything bad is going to happen to you if you pray, but it's actually because it is quite the opposite, that something really good might just happen to you, might just happen in you, or maybe even in the world. One of my favorite theologians, Karl Barth, said it beautifully when he said, to clasp one's hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the death and disorder of this world. And friends, I can think of no better explanation than what we are gathered here to celebrate today. Amen? And so today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to dive into a very risky prayer that Jesus offered on our behalf that made everything we're doing today possible. And so you may have noticed that today we're actually going to be in Matthew 26. We're not going to be in the traditional, we're taking a break from the traditional uh, Easter story of the Easter morning, and instead we're backing up a little bit to the story of the prayer that set up Easter, that made the Easter moment real. You see, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is starting to see what's transpiring. He's seeing what's about to transpire in the next 24 to 72 hours, and he sees the significance of it, and he sees the power of it, and he sees how important it is that he follow through with everything he was sent to earth to do, but he's starting to get overwhelmed by all of it, and so what he does is he gathers his friends together, he gathers his closest disciples together, and they go to the garden to pray. Well, at least Jesus does. Uh, the rest of the disciples uh, kept passing out and falling asleep. Uh, so this is like, I love this that the author included this, by the way, because this is literally me like half of the week. Half of the nights I pray, I lay down on my bed and I go, Lord Jesus, we pray for the missionaries, we pray for the widows, we pray for the orphans. And, we pray. and then two hours later, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Lord, love you, I'll finish in the morning. We'll talk more in the morning. But Jesus here in this moment, in the garden, his disciples are asleep. There's no crowd, there's no audience, no one's around to witness. But Jesus then utters what would go on to be the most influential prayer in all of human history. The most influential words, when he prayed these words, he said, not what I want, last sentence, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I want, but what you want. Two things I want to point out about this prayer, first of which, it's so interesting to me how often preachers like me tell this part of the Jesus story, and they make it appear as if Jesus' sacrifice, his willingness to go through everything he went through, his death and his resurrection, it's so interesting to me how many pastors make it appear as if this decision was easy. 
But what I love so much about how the gospel writers wrote this story is they made sure to include the humanness of our God. That Jesus, yes, was fully God, but also fully human. And so what we see on display is Jesus' anxiety. We see his fear. We see his dread because of what's about to unfold. He can know up here all he wants, that this is the right thing to do. This is what he was sent to earth to do. But he is, we are seeing on full display his humanness, his emotions. And so what this is is good news for every single one of us. That If you ever step foot into church and these are realities for you, if anxiety is a real thing for your life, if worry is a real thing that you battle, just know that you've got a Savior who knows what that's like, who has felt that too. And then what I love is what transpires next. You see, why Jesus goes on to continue to pray that prayer anyway is not in bitterness. It wasn't in resentment. It wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't a burden, but it was geared and driven solely out of love. The reason why Jesus goes through with it is because he loved you too dang much to stop this mission that he had started. And so in so doing, what he does here in this moment is he makes the impossible possible. He gives hope where there's despair. He brings life where there was death. He does exactly what Karl Barth talked about. And in just three days, he upends the death and destruction that had been ruling our world. And so... I can think of no better way to celebrate and respond to said events with, a, I mean, again, not just with the dressing up in our favorite pastels, okay? Like, I get it. Like, you guys look beautiful. You look wonderful. I'm looking at you right now. You guys are going to make great pictures at the photo backdrop after service today. This is going to be wonderful. The best way to respond is not just with that. It's not just with eating an ungodly amount of those little starburst jelly beans. Have you seen those before? Sweet Jesus. Praise God for Easter. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujahs. Mm, mm. No. The best way to respond to the Easter event is to ask the question, what would it look like for more people to pray that prayer? Can you imagine with me, just imagine with me, what kind of world we would live in if more people prayed the way Jesus prays in the garden? Not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but what your will. Not my plans, but your plans. Now, I know what you're thinking. See, Easter is really fun because Easter is like a Christian family reunion. It's when all of us dysfunctional family members get together on a couple times a year, and we get together, and we're coming from all different walks of life. We're coming from all different places in our faith, in our journey, in our relationship with God. And so for some of you, some of you are hearing this. You're hearing this risky prayer that Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And the reason why you don't pray that prayer, the reason why you're not too interested in uttering those words is because something like this, your internal monologue sounds like this. Why God's will when mine's working great? 
Seriously, though, like, why, why God's will? Why would I substitute my plans? Mine are working, like, real good. Like, Pastor, did you see the car I pulled up into Easter today with? Mm. You seen these new shoes? Like, it's working out. Like, life is good. Life is good. Marriage is good. My relationships are good. My friendships are good. My job is good. Finances, health, it's all good. So, like, why, why God's will when mine's working fantastic? This actually leads to one of the primary reasons why I have committed and devoted my life to following this Jesus. It's because one of the things that Jesus does in my life, I don't know about yours, but one of the things that Jesus does in my life is whenever things are going really, really good, Jesus doesn't make me feel guilty about that. He doesn't make me feel bad about that. He does, though, in that still small voice, ask me, are you sharing any of that goodness? I thought that was, like, just for me, though. Like, I thought we were just sort of, like, it's like a rain cloud of the blessing upon, like, can't you just do the, let's just, no, 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 it's not the way it works, dude. Actually, the goodness I give to you is to be shared. It's always to be shared. And so, maybe more accurately, what you're thinking today is, why God's will when mine is working great? For me. It's working real good for me. I read a stat a couple of weeks ago that absolutely floored me. You ready? You ready for it? I read a stat a couple of weeks ago. Sociologists have studied this, and they found that in terms of worldwide hunger, worldwide hunger, the price tag for solving worldwide hunger is $25 billion. $25 billion. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? I ain't got that chilling in my bank account. Like, I know it sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? But I'm actually going to prove to you it's actually not. In America alone, forget the other countries, in our country alone, we spend $25 billion every year on Mother's Day. Now, I'm going to be very clear here because there's a lot of moms and grandmothers staring daggers at me at this present moment. And so, stop, stop. Let me be very clear, I'm not saying don't buy gifts for your mom or for your grandmother in a couple of weeks. I'm just asking, can you imagine a world with me where we possess the same level of devotion and commitment to our brothers and sisters in need as we did to one singular holiday? I want to live in that world. I want to live in that world. It's in reach. It's in reach. Solving world hunger is in reach. And so if that's you today, if you came in here and you're like, yeah, like the reason why I don't pray that risky prayer that Jesus prayed that led to the whole resurrection thing is because like mine's working great. My question to you is for whom? And great if it's you, but it can't just be only you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that didn't resonate with you. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, like, yeah, that's not actually where I'm at. Like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily reluctant to pray that prayer, thy will be done instead of mine. I don't pray that because my will is great. I just don't do it because mine's working fine. It's fine. You ever realize that? If ever you give the answer of fine, your voice has to go up like seven octaves. It's fine. It's like if someone served you Arby's. You'd say, how was it? 
fine. I'll pass by seven Arby's on the way home, and I will stop at neither of them. But it's fine. Like, if someone offers it to me, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But what they really mean is the reason why I don't go after God's will instead of mine, I don't, I'm not open to being used in these same ways that Jesus was used. The reason why I don't do that is because fine, what it really means is predictable. It's known. It's comfortable. Sure, my life may not be great, but the way in which I've organized my life, the things I'm chasing after, the meaning and purpose that I find or don't, it's, it might be, it's not, it may not be great, but at least it's better than the unknown. And we do this all the time, don't we? A study found that human being, the average human being stays in a job or a relationship at least four years after they learn that it's not good for them. Now, you can shirk at that, but I actually did the same thing in college. I stayed with a girl for six months after she told me she did not like coffee. <laughs> you seen these people before? There's psychopaths out there that walk around, and they live off of a good night's sleep. Am I saying that correctly? Is that, is that what's going on? But this leads to the other reason why I've committed my life to follow this Jesus. You see, the other thing that Jesus does in my life is he's not only the little still small voice that says, hey, make sure that the goodness is not just for you. He's also the person in my life who says to me, yo, I desire so much more in your life than just fine. What does the gospel of John say? I have come to give life and life that is Mediocre. No, it's mediocre. No, stop. No, don't do it. Boring. Come to give an ordinary life. Sign up. It's going to be half fun. No. I've come and give life abundant. A life you couldn't imagine. A life that's ten times better than the one you would have settled for. And in so doing, what Jesus is doing is he's confronting this really popularly held assumption that settling is safe. Jesus is pushing against that. He's challenging that. This long-held assumption that settling in your relationships, in your job, in your life, in your mindset, that it's safe. He's pushing back against that. Let's just take a break from the Jesus talk for just a moment. You see this in nature, friends. You see this in the world in which we live in, that to stay still, to stay stationary is not risk-free. Again, we see this in nature. What happens to a beautiful lake, a beautiful pond, if it stays stationary? No new water flows in, no water flows out. What happens to it? It turns into a swamp. Yeah. This summer, some of you are going to have some really wonderful uh, summer vacations. You might swim with dolphins. And did you know that you don't need to feel bad about like, holding on to them while they swim and all that good stuff? Because they actually are physically incapable of staying still that it's actually dangerous for dolphins to stay still because they will suffocate if they do so. Kids, you're in worship here today. You know this is true too, don't you? You know this is true, don't you? Yeah, that's right. The reason why we normally offer children's programming all the way through fifth grade is because every kid in here knows that to force them to sit still for, oh, I don't know, an hour-long worship service with a bunch of grown-ups is basically the highest form of torture.
could just see the light fading out of his eyes. And so if staying put, settling, is not even possible, if we're always moving, the question is, which direction are we moving? I love this from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writes this. He said, I'm convinced we're always moving. So he's talking spiritually. Spiritually speaking, we're always moving toward becoming a more heavenly person or a more hellish person. I want you to think with me about your own life. Think about the decisions you've been making recently, the mindsets you've been occupying recently, the behavior you've been participating in lately. Is it making you a more generous person, hopeful person, compassionate person, merciful person? Or slowly but surely, are you finding yourself turning into a more selfish person, greedy person? isolated and lonely person, judgmental person. I push back my question to those of you who came into Easter today and you're like, yeah, the reason why I don't pray that risky prayer that Jesus prayed is because mine's fine. Two questions. Number one, is it really? Only you can answer that. Is it really fine? Number two, what kind of person are you on trajectory to becoming if you keep occupying that fineness? And I'll close here because there's one more. There's one more possibility, one more possibility. Some of you, uh, you came uh, to Easter Sunday or you are tuning into Easter Sunday at the current moment, uh, not because you planned to, not even really because you wanted to, but because you knew this was a bargaining chip to make sure you got access to the Easter meal that's taking place later today. That's okay. Let's just have an honest conversation, okay? Honest conversation, safe place, right? Some of you, there was a casserole in your future and you're like, I'll sit through an hour with the church. Come on now. Woo, let's go. And if you were honest, if you were honest, your reluctancy to pray the prayer, thy will be done, is not because your will has been great. It's not even because your will has been fine. If you're actually really honest, your will hasn't been working at all. It's actually working out quite miserably lately. You actually find yourself here on Easter Sunday. In most days, you don't feel like you have a lot of meaning. You don't feel like your life has a lot of purpose. You don't feel like it's contributing to much in the world. But the reason why you refuse, you refuse to substitute your will for God's will is because you don't trust that God's will is actually better for you. Now hear me, there's no judgment in that statement because quite frankly, some of you have really good reason for feeling this way. Some of you are stepping back into this place. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church all year for several years, and the reason for which is because, quite frankly, every single time you come to places like this, people like me try to make the case that, oh, you should, you should try out God's way. You should try to follow this Jesus person. And what they go on to articulate, what they go on to illustrate for you is a pathway for your life that is not compelling at best or it's worse than the current life you're living. 
And who in God's green earth is trading in for that? Nobody. And so if that's you, or if there's any part of you for whom that is true, I'm just going to ask one favor of you. Just one. Deal? One. Will you just make room, please, for the possibility that your issue is not with the source, but with the deliverer? I want you to make room for the strong possibility that maybe your issue is not with the source, but it's the the way it was delivered to you. Your issue is not with the person of Jesus himself and what he did for us, what he's unlocking for us all the time. It's how that message, how that person was packaged, wrapped up, and then given to you that just doesn't sit right with you no more. You see, friends, what we're getting at now is what Gandhi talked about. You see, Gandhi dabbled in Christianity a little bit. He dabbled in our message. He, got, he dabbled in uh, the story and the person of Jesus. And he said these words, these now famous words, I like your Jesus. I just don't like y'all very much. And what that quote compels me to say is that I'm willing to bet everything I've got that if you and I had the opportunity to meet Jesus for who he really is, nobody would want to turn away. Just take the name off of it for a second, right? Let's just take the name off of it. Let's say I was going to walk someone in in just a short couple of moments who met this description. If I was bringing someone in this room who, A... Enjoyed wine, took naps, stood up to bullies, encouraged those who were struggling, fed the hungry, included the outcast, didn't hold a grudge ever, super wise and insightful, performed miracles. Oh, and I don't know, was constantly the person in your life who would find you when you would dig graves for yourself and he would, no judgment, reach his hand, and if he couldn't reach you, he would get into the grave with you and pull you out. You can't tell me that if I were to try to introduce you to someone like that, you wouldn't say yes. And so, friends, that's what Easter is all about. Easter, you see, today, just to, so we don't get it twisted, today is not an invitation to a religion. It is not an invitation to a church. It is not an invitation to an institution. It is an invitation back to a relationship. Easter is all about recovering a relationship you've lost. It's reengaging a relationship that's gone dry. It's maybe opening yourself for the very first time to a relationship with someone who might just change everything for the good. And so that's my challenge. That's my invitation to you this Easter. But it comes with a warning, okay? It comes with a word of caution. That if you dare to leave here today and you start to re-engage this relationship and you begin to ask this Jesus to show up again, to speak to you again, to lead you again, to heal you again, to forgive you again, just be prepared that you might just get what you asked for. 
In fact, you're probably going to get a whole lot more. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.